hello and welcome to episode 69 of the 1099 for the week of November 28th, 2016. I am your host, as always, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is the former VP of third-party relations at PlayStation and the newly crowned CEO of Iron Galaxy, <laughs> Adam Boys. Adam, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. This is super exciting. And yep. episode 69... <laughs> is that a thing still like, is that a thing? I, I couldn't i couldn't not like i was it took everything to not laugh at that as soon as i yep. said it because i saw it coming up and i'm like man like this is, this is gonna be a thing that i'm not gonna be able to avoid it was either yep. you or eric pope for episode 69. okay well it's perfect it's perfect because like yeah up in canada 69 doesn't have the same connotations as the u.s and so you know him being up there now it's uh you know i'm taking one for the team Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it but I feel honored. I feel honored. I feel honored. You should. You are uh, the first and only <laughs> guest on episode sixty-nine. So excellent. You've won. Um. So I mean, sure. how are you? You've been traveling all over the place. We've been talking about doing this for a while. You. you a long a time, job. ever since my PlayStation days. Yeah. Yeah. Really. And I mean, yeah. you you just moved. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Most importantly, now you work with Dave Lang, which is either the worst or the best thing ever. I mean, what's it's, everything been like? It's the best and the worst. No, it's been great. Yeah, moving to Chicago. Uh, so for those, many people didn't know that I used to live here. I actually met my wife here. So I was working at Midway in Chicago in 2003 to 2007. Dave Lang and I first met on the same project. We were both on Slugfest Loaded back in the day. Uh, he was our tech tech lead and I was the producer. And so that's when we met. So moving back here, my fa- my wife's family's from Michigan. It's been really cool. It's been awesome to sort of get back to the Midwest. Schools out here have been fantastic. And uh, get to know everyone in both the studios because we have our obviously our studio up here in Chicago. And then we have another one in Orlando. So I've been down there hanging out with a bunch of the peeps in that uh, office. And it's been a ton of fun, like just getting to know everyone, getting up to speed on all the projects we're working on. Well, this is a busy crew, busy time for a company uh, that uh, has a lot of amazing people. So it's been super fun. Definitely a lot different than PlayStation, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but it's been it's been amazing. It really has. How, how long has the Orlando studio been around? That's I mean I live in Jacksonville, so that's close to me. I did not know you guys had something in Orlando. Yeah, I think it kicked off in let's see if Dave started in two thousand eight. I believe Orlando was two thousand eleven or twelve. Gotcha. Um, so relatively quick, but it was founded by a bunch of people that graduated from FIA, which is the uh, you know, down there at uh, University of Florida, they have a great program. And so we have a pile of people that, that used to go there and, at FIA. And then they come in and work for, for Iron Galaxy. So we've got a lot of great people down there that are... But most of them, like when I went and met with all of them, most of them are actually not from Florida. A lot of them are transplants from different places around the country. But once you get down to Florida and that weather, whew, yeah. ooh, child, I'll, I'll Almost- take it. Almost no one in Florida like started out in Florida. Like everyone yeah. has moved from like I I originally grew up near Pittsburgh area and I right. work at a company uh, where like I would say half of them are like from up north and got here when they're like the fuck am I doing right. in Pennsylvania right. and like yeah. you know that kind of like you wake up on like a winter day and you have to turn your car on ten minutes beforehand to just get all the ice off right. of it. You yep. move here and you're like I could just get in my car. Like I'm not even wearing a jacket. Right. This is amazing. Well, and then, and then I think Dave, that's one of the reasons why Dave chose that location was just so we could go during the winter months uh, mm-hmm. down to Orlando. So I'm, I'm planning right now, trying to figure out a way to spend a bunch of time down there in January and February. Good news is in Chicago, it's beautiful. It's absolutely sunny out right now. Um, turns out global warming has some upsides that are very, uh, <laughs> you know, not, not always the best for the planet, but really good for just, you know, weather today. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's a lot of fun having the two studios and um learning the ropes around that 
I mean, speaking of learning the ropes and you getting there, I mean, yeah. what exactly do you do on a daily basis for Iron Galaxy? Because CEO is such a big title. It's so all-encompassing. It but yeah. I'm guessing you enjoy actually working on games rather than just delegating and telling people what to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the biggest re- – I mean, that's the main reason that I left PlayStation. I mean, I love my job there. I had a, the best team ever on the planet. I had incredible people that I worked with and uh, an awesome work environment. But I've always been a creative type of person. And uh, PlayStation, you know, we got to facilitate a lot of great stuff, but actually coming up with ideas. And I have a lot of big, dumb ideas, just like my big, dumb dad <laughs> jokes on stage. Uh, I have dumb game ideas. And so coming over here, you know, when Dave and I started talking about it and then getting on board and having Chelsea, who's our who's our third partner, uh, and us talking about how do we divvy everything up? How are we sort of going to attack the world and, and just bring Iron Galaxy to that next level? So uh, day-to-day is really sort of varied. Um, first of all, it was really just like, what does everyone do? What is everyone's names? Where does everyone sit? Yeah. Uh, you know, when is the uh, elevator lock at night? You know, all that good stuff. And then from there, it was like, how many projects are we working on? Meeting a lot of our partners. Right now, we have 13 different projects we're working on oh uh, at the same time. Yeah, a few of them are like a, just a person or two. But I'm actually looking at our slate right now, and there's a massive amount of projects we're working on. Um, and so getting to know our partners and then uh, the team and then being like, hey, listen, what does the future look like? What are we going to try to focus on? Um, and then divvying up everything. So we're sort of, that's, uh, all the responsibilities between Chelsea and Dave and myself. So that's been drinking out of a fire hose. Um, but it's been a lot of fun because oftentimes like, oh, we're working with this publisher. I know those guys. Let's give them a call. Uh, or, Hey, we'd really love to get some support or some help on this one topic from this other studio. Let's give them a call. And so that part of it's been really beneficial, but, uh, yeah, being able to build, you know, PowerPoint decks, Dave and I are sort of like going back and forth on a lot of different um, decks and stuff like that to uh, build game concepts and and pitch our wares to many different partners out there. I how long was this move from PlayStation back into really like deep game development discussed? Like, was this something that you had been thinking about for a long time and it finally just happened? Because for someone like me, it feels like it came out of left field. But for you, was yeah. it planned for a long time? Not planned for a long time. It, you know, it's funny. It was uh. It was actually over the years, I just started going on this sort of spiritual journey. You know, you start getting in your later 30s and you start thinking about your 40s and beyond and what you want your legacy to be and what you want to be known for. And uh, I just started really thinking about, like, why did I join the games industry? And I sort of went back and traced back to when I first had, you know, my brother and I ran a bulletin board service back in the day called the Savage BBS in my hometown of Abbotsford, BC. <laughs> and, and, and you know, I started, uh, my parents gave me like a Tandy 16 uh, when I was a kid in... in um, elementary school and i was messing around making games and modding games and then i just thought about like i was reflective over the it was basically over the last year it was kind of like christmas of last year i sort of like had some time with my family and sort of started doing this spiritual contemplation around like what makes me tick what makes me happy and Mm -hmm. that's when i was like what have i felt the most fulfilled in my career and it was really looking back to sort of the days at midway where we were making products you know working on slugfest working on blitz the league um, you know, at Capcom, I had a lot of fun there, but it was really like taking ideas like let's do Street Fighter HD Remix or let's reboot Devil May Cry. What does that look like? Who do we work with? And then you sort of pass it off to the developer and you're still involved in that process. But, uh, you know, work on Bionic Commando and stuff like that. But, you know, at Midway was truly that opportunity when we were actually making things. And by making things, I mean, I was a producer type, so working with people that make things. Yeah. But coming up with those creative ideas, making those decisions, you know, when I was at PlayStation, I'd be in a meeting with somebody and be like, you know, have you guys ever thought, and then I'd have to stop myself with any thought or any feedback saying, 
this is not an official request from PlayStation. <laughs> yeah. Let me preface this this next comment. <laughs> but have you guys thought about how you're going to approach this aspect or that aspect? Because oftentimes what people would do is they'd sort of think, hey, the PlayStation guys were here and they want us to change this or that. And they thought that that would appease us. But I have to like turn off the, the business atom and turn on the sort of creative atom. So this to me is like the ultimate illustration of trying to go and follow my passion and dream and um, work with an awesome crew of people and make cool stuff. And uh, when you talk about following your passion and dream, I mean, it. part of that also has to be, you, you have to be a little bit scared leaving PlayStation because you mentioned how impressive that team that was. Like, And yeah. I, when I think of your time at PlayStation, I think of that big indie explosion. I think of that amazing 2013 press conference. I think of the PS4 <laughs> kind of just retaking the lead, killing it, and really doing something that I didn't think the PS4 would be outpacing the Xbox One in this way. I mean, was there kind of, at least to a certain extent, this trepidation that, what I'm leaving is something I won't be able to just magically get back if things don't work out suddenly at Iron Galaxy, or were you just gung ho on the idea of I want to get back into creating? Yeah, no, it's I'm I'm kind of weirdly built in that way. Like when I was uh when I worked at EA, that was my first job in the industry in like ninety six I started there. We had this stock purchase program and uh basically what they would do is that prorated over a six month period, you'd buy stocks on the cheaper price that was either at the start of that six month period or the end of that six month period. And what all of us young bucks that didn't make a lot of money would do was we would wait, it would usually rise over that six month period, and we would then get a fifteen percent discount. So we'd always buy at the end, and I would keep looking at the stock price after I sold, and I would be beating myself up every day. And one of my bosses come came up to me one day and said, Adam, once you've sold that stock, never look at it again. You made a decision, you've moved on, you can't worry about what could have been, what the coulda, shoulda, woulda. Mm-hmm. And that sort of started to, I, that really sort of made an impact on me because then it it meant that many more decisions in my life, like when I was then in 2000, I had decided to leave EA, um, go to this other this, this startup company in, in Vancouver, and then later on decided, which was like, I left games for a little bit because yeah. I'd applied at this job and the CEO had asked me, hey, do you want to come aboard and... and uh, you know, be the director of QA. I said, great. Then the job after that was like, would you like to move to Ireland? And I was like, yep, sure. And I never really thought about like what would it have been like if I stayed. Um, And so with this, of course, it's a huge decision. It not only impacts all the fans and, and, and people that I know and interact with and all of our partners and my team members and my family. Um, But the thing is you got to do you a lot of times in life. And that Mm -hmm. sounds a little bit selfish, but uh, it is one of those things where you're like, if I if I was so worried and so attached to every single permutation around what what it could have been or what what I could have back, like when I got there, I never asked to be on stage. That was never like, <laughs> hey, when I get old enough, I want to go work at PlayStation and be on stage. Like that's never been a thing. And when they, I did a presentation internally once, and they're like, hey, Adam, you want to be on stage at E3? I was like, uh, I can't say no. Yeah. Uh, and then and then sort of having fun up there with everyone and and that sort of creating a this sort of like social presence and, and being a spokesperson of the company. I'm like, I never asked for any of that stuff. It was amazing and humbling. And I felt super blessed that I could have those, um, those situations. But, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm just a quiet guy from a small town in Canada. And, uh, and so getting back to making stuff again, uh, of course, a lot of those things weighed on me, but I can't look at the past. Like I can't, obviously I keep in touch with all my friends there and, and I love that crew. Um, but you know, I can't worry about the future of it. How weird was it actually going on stage? Because you mentioned you didn't never ask oh. for it. It's but like 
someone like me when i was growing up e3 was always this you know the 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 cliche is gamers christmas because you wake up you you try to absorb as much of those press conferences as possible like you get giddy watching them if you're one of those fanboys where you you know you have a ps2 you don't have an xbox and you you want you know sony to win if you're one of those people you're hinging on every announcement every trailer every word that happens i mean for you walking out there knowing that like each thing you do, it's like you're one step away from being either cheered or becoming yeah. a meme or a gif. Yeah. Like, yeah. what is that feeling like? Oh, it's uh, absolutely it's insurmountable. You know, the the but but the thing is, like, I had to ground myself, and so there's a couple things that I did. Like, obviously, it's such an honor. Like, you think about the amount of people that have been on a regular on a stage in the gaming industry, right? It's it's less than twenty. And so the first off is obviously I felt very, very humbled that the company entrusted uh, me to be a spokesperson for it. Um, that was number one governing factor. And then the second thing I thought about a lot was like, I got, these are my people, right? Like yeah. this is, that's what I kept thinking about is that, is that everyone in this audience is me. I'm, I'm a huge gaming nerd. I love games. I love the people that make games. I love everything about this industry. I don't think I'll ever leave gaming industry. Um, Again, even though I did a little stint uh, outside of it. But, you know, it, it was just like, these are my people. And I just thought about that of like, I get to be a spokesperson for my friends and my yeah. peers and my people. And so few, I think, oftentimes I'll see, I'll watch a press conference and I see somebody come out and you're like, yeah, I don't think they really play a lot of games. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I'm not going to, I think I kind of overdid it in the other direction maybe with too many <laughs> Destiny, Destiny Gallahorn jokes. But um, I took it super seriously but also want to have fun. So when they were sort of like, you know, when you, when you're sort of developing the script for these things, uh, oftentimes publishers will submit, here's what the copy we'd like you to say. And I'm just like, all I was doing was like, Nope, not saying those words and purposely sort of choosing grounding words for me that were my language. Like I think the first year I came out and said shenanigans and tomfoolery and hullabaloo and all these things that are like, these are my words. And these are all my friends know that I would sound like that. So in sort of, Making sure it was authentic, that it was my voice fundamentally and that it was sort of my what I truly felt. You know, every game that we announced, I made sure that I met the dev teams and played them. And oftentimes I would I had a one plan at one point wanted to get a platinum in every game I announced on stage. Didn't end up happening. I missed started missing a few and then it sort of like um piled on. But the other thing I did is a very sort of rigorous resting prep. Like I needed to make sure I wasn't going to be super, super panicky. Um, and so like making sure I was getting eight hours of sleep two weeks out and no alcohol and very hydrated, all this weird, like, you know, trust fall stuff, but, uh, worked out well. Ironically, after the first year, I was more nervous doing like, I did Brazil game show once mm-hmm. and that was the most nerve wracking show I had ever, I ever did. Oh, why is and, that? And it, because they I didn't know a lot. Like I, I didn't know a lot about the Brazilian people. I didn't know a lot about the Brazilian game fans. And so E3 was like, I've been going to these shows for my whole adult life. And this is my jam. And down in Brazil, even though the gamers and the PlayStation is a brand, I was just like, I don't, you know, a lot of other people were speaking in Brazilian Portuguese and I'm out there speaking in English and I'm making jokes about hockey. And I was just so nervous because I'm like, I, this is probably all going to fall so flat. So yeah. yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing, man. I, I look back and, and it was, it was really one of those things that you're like, 
those video clips. And then I always made the mistake every night of like going on NeoGAF and reading the comments. Oh, see, that's and my that huge a, question for you. Like, oh, it, it, oh. did you learn over time just not check your Twitter or comments for a while? Not ever saying like, I thought you did a great job, but there, no matter, even if you knocked out of the park, there's going to be people yeah. who hate whatever you do. I mean, how long did you stay off the internet afterward? Uh, it was basically like every, after all the sort of that night, it, Every year at like midnight, I would like log on for an hour oh, and just read stuff. And it was a man. bad, just, I always say to every single studio out there and developer and every pu- person that is doing their first public appearance, never do that. And then every <laughs> time I did it. Um, but the thing is, it actually fueled me like the, the stuff, it helped me a little bit. I realized that some of it did feel sort of kitschy and dad jokey, but oh. that was my thing that like I leaned into that a little bit and, uh, and the other thing was my favorite thing is so what I found is is this is Brendan Aribe who's uh who's CEO of Oculus and um, has been around the industry for a long time and a guy that I have a lot of respect for. He had the best comment ever because he came up after my first year and he grabs me, he puts his hand on my shoulder, he goes, "You know, Adam, I think uh, saw you on stage tonight. Great job." He goes, "I loved half of your jokes." <laughs> And I was like, that was, that was actually like, I found that like British people and Canadians were the ones like, oh, I get, I get your, uh, I get your humor at them. And then with most people in uh, the US were like, yeah, I could, I could take it or leave them. <laughs> but it was like genuine but, dad jokes. They weren't forced dad jokes. Well, that's, that's, well, yeah. It, it, especially when I was workshopping them on stage, like when my team was there during the rehearsals and they're like, you're not going to do that one on stage. And sometimes I just wing it on stage. And I mean, when I walked out that one year and I said, this shit never gets old. It was just such a genuine thing. <laughs> Cause I was just like, this is, I could do this forever. Cause it is, it is, you get to hold all these secrets in. And my team worked so, so, so hard securing all those partnerships. And when you're working with you Suzuki and you're getting that Shenmue stuff sort of lined up and you're working oh, with yeah. Activision for years and getting Crash Bandicoot and you're working with Tim Schafer and Disney to unlock full throttle and Maniac Mansion, all these things. I mean, these are things that, it's kind of like I remember when I I remember when I first got to PlayStation. I just sort of looked at everyone on my team and said, "What if you could do anything?" And that's mm-hmm. sort of what governed all the stuff we went after. wasn't about like, are people going to buy this necessarily, but like, what do you want to do? What do you what do you what are you passionate about? And then empowering the team to sort of go after uh, things that they thought were were important to the brand and the company um, is what we did. And the company let us do it, and they empowered us, and that was the best part about it. Yeah, those press conferences got just more and more impressive starting. And I'll always remember 2013 because it was yeah. uh, it was actually my first D3 and it was the first time I was at that press conference. And yeah. I just the indie support, everything that was going on, the price point, the the video that no one will ever forget uh, between <laughs> you and Shu. Like there's yeah. – I mean behind the scenes, did you guys know what was going on and how like – how much of a home run that was because, uh, I mean, I now work with Tan Gentleman who just released Here They Lie on PSVR. And, yeah. uh, when they were in discussion kind of about like, Hey, what's, you know, what are we going to do about publishing? What's our idea here? When Sony came up because of everything that was going on, I'm like, I really think that's the right move. Like, I, I think yeah. that's where you want to go because it was just became kind of out of nowhere, this indie box. So behind the scenes for that, especially that year, did you know how big everything was? No, no, absolutely not. We we had no idea. I mean, it was it's so hard to sort of predict that kind of stuff. The one thing I do recall is that like when I first came on board and we really started going after the indie stuff was that you know Ouya had come out and Ouya's whole entire pitch was, "Hey, we're the first real console for indies." Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
oh, we're actually doing that too. <laughs> and so their their actual main point of differentiation, um, I was like, well, they're we're gonna do that as well on a on a bigger scale because yeah. Uh, you know, the good news is I had met a lot of these developers that we work with when I was at Capcom. You know, I was running product development there. So, you know, I had met Sean Murray when we were trying to sign Joe Danger. And I had met Dino Patty and the guys at Playdead when I was trying to sign Limbo. And I had met, you know, Notch right before he had, uh, you know, self-published Minecraft. And so all these people throughout the industry I had known for years and years from my days at Capcom. Um, I could walk into their office and talk to them and they'd be like, oh, I remember you. Yeah, you you never lied to me before. You seem like a stand-up guy. <laughs> um, but as far as like that culmination, like we didn't know what their price point was. Everyone thought it was like, oh, you guys change your price. No, of course we didn't. We never, oh, that's so not that a thing was, that anyone does. No, I everyone's talked to like, Lauren you guys Lanning, must have, he, he, I know, he, I, he I, I talked to him believes. after that interview. He's wrong. He's straight up wrong. <laughs> no, you don't, like, if anyone thinks you run a business that anyone can run, a multi-billion dollar business and just change numbers on the fly is <laughs> just has not gone to business school. See, um, him and his no, he's wrong. Hair, he's I wrong. will follow him to the ends of the, like I couldn't, when he said it, I'm like, maybe he's right. Look no, at him. No, but no, 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 no. We taught, we debunked that when I was at PlayStation. No, we didn't change. Everyone's like, yeah, we're at backstage. But when we saw their price, the, of course this grin comes over us, but still like when we walked out, you see the nervousness in in my face when I first well I mean that's my first time too but like she was ner- we were all nervous yeah. Jack though Jack is was such such a pro yeah that he walked out there and he felt that energy and then when he started going through the policy stuff and talking about what it was going to make it um you know he just you could tell that he caught that he saw the wave coming and he you know paddled out a little and then just hopped on the board and just surfed <laughs> it all the way home and he just delivered it like a champ and uh in the moment that was it was such a special thing um you know i look back now and i'm like wow that that's definitely going to go down in, in history is just such an amazing it was sort of like serendipity hitting on a f- couple fronts because we're able to make indies front and center yeah. and i think no other console had ever done that before and that was really important and then that being elevating all independent developers across the industry was super important um so that was a neat part of it and uh and then of course like making our list like with geo Corsi coming on board and building a list and starting working on stuff and then um you know and then from there giving birth to psx i mean there's so many things that uh, uh i think we we did a pretty good job of How and the good news is too i think i think the uh um you know microsoft guys uh pretty quickly were like wow we, we there's a lot of things that we could be doing better and then they quickly basically revved up the engine and uh phil spencer went to work and and just did an incredible job of of you know, patching the the problems and making it as good as humanly possible. It was one of the craziest times too. Just it was know, the it PS4, was. the Xbox One shift. Everything was just like, what the actual hell is going on in this industry? Yeah. And, I mean, I, I feel pretty good about where we're at, but that time was just absolutely insane. Uh, it was. It was. How much of what you learned at PlayStation, all the contacts you have, do you feel like you can carry over into Iron Galaxy? Because you know, you guys have. I feel like. What I know you for is like dive kick and killer instinct, but of course you yeah. have these external projects and other people you're working with. Like, how much yeah. can you carry over to that to make you guys, you know, more successful? Um, a lot of it. I mean, you know, a lot of uh of our publishing development partners when I left were were super congratulatory and they were very nice and and uh, said great things. And I've kept in touch with many of them, and that's been pretty awesome uh, as well. So of course, I think that's gonna factor in i mean we the fact that we have that access to to hey well we got this idea let's go talk to all these people that i i don't know that's gonna factor in quite a bit but um aside from that i mean 
I never want it to be like we're always going to have to live up to whatever we promise, right? It's never going to be like, oh, because Adam knows a guy, that means that we're going to get better this or they're going to like our games better that. You know, uh, we have to keep continually delivering high-quality products. And that's, that, that's, I think, our biggest focus is that we don't want to let gamers down. We want to make great stuff. And uh, Dave and Chelsea and the whole crew at Iron Galaxy has done such a great job historically doing that. And now it's like, how do we take everything we've built and learned and take it to the next level? Because all the ingredients here are here at the company to, like, take it to the next level. So that's what we've been focusing on is, like, how do we build that strategy for the next 5, 10, 20 years? And we, we've mentioned Dave Lang a few times. It for yes. you was the shift back into actually making games was he a big part of it like would you have made this move if it wasn't someone you've worked with and trusted and moving back to chicago like i again you still have the desire to create but was this also just the perfect situation for you to kind of slot right back into yeah i think uh on a couple fronts like i had talked to a bunch of different studios about different opportunities and the challenge with any situation where you come in at a senior level is building trust and equity within the people that you're working with is absolutely critical. So, of course, I weighed a bunch of different options like, hey, should I just start on my own and do my own thing? Or should I join somebody else? And then there's like, well, these people don't know me. And so Dave and I, we went through the battle. Um, we were in the trenches together at Midway. Mm -hmm. Like, we were both new when we started. We started within two weeks of each other. We went uh, to hell and back together. And we saw each other at the worst of times and the best of times. Like at one point, you know, on Slugfest, he was in the office for nine days straight um, with his wife and daughter coming to visit him. And oh, I'm bringing him changes of clothes because we had a shower at the office, but I'm bringing him changes of clothes and bringing food. And it's just like you go to that stuff because there was so much pressure on us because we were the new guys, right? He had come mm -hmm. in from Kodiak from Utah and I'd come in from, um, you know, from Next Level Games up in Vancouver and with my EA background. So we didn't know what, was, what the Midway culture was like. So we were sort of thrown in the deep end. Luckily, along the way, we met... Um, certified cool guys like uh john vignocchi and, and mike builder um to sort of like help guide us through the way but it was that battle you know you 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 look back in your work histories and there's only a handful of people you can look back and say wow we really saw some shit and and so when dave and i started talking about what could heaven look like what could we build together it got pretty exciting pretty quick but i mean the reality of it is it's the people here it's yeah. not dave's a part of it of course and and what he built here was was fantastic but it's really the people here, and that was the biggest, the final test. I mean, having Chelsea, who basically makes everything tick, makes makes all the projects run, and then all the amazing people. That was the that was the final um, decision factor. Was like, wow, we've got this all this great stuff that that Dave's already built. How do we take all this stuff to the next level? But of course, our history helped immensely. No, I totally see that. And uh, speaking of your history, I mean, anyone who listens to this very likely is a giant bomb fan uh that is how i you know learned about you and found you that's how a lot of people i'm guessing on social media otherwise kind of got to know you so i mean for you yeah. by experience what's the split between people recognizing you following you on twitter based on your stage presence at e3 versus actually making appearances on giant bomb on being on this that uh e3 post show where John Vignocchi tweeted out Dave Lang's phone number because again, that's, that's, that's how I first got to know you. I mean, what in general, like what is giant bomb? It sounds weird to say, what has giant bomb done for your career? But what has giant bomb done yeah. for your career? Well, you know, it's funny cause it, it goes all the way back to, we had become friends with way back in the GameSpot days with, uh, Jeff and Ryan and, and a bunch of the crew way back in the day at Midway, we had done all these events and, um, I had known them, and then when they spun out, 
I just joined Capcom and I believe that they had just come up with a logo. They were still up in Sausalito and uh, we came on the show to do uh, Age of Booty and Jeff and Ryan and, and, Ryan and Brad. Um, I'm trying to think who else was there. I think the three of us, uh, Vinny was, I think, our cameraman. Um, and we were just in their little basement drinking a lot of rum and uh, having fun. And that Such was always the thing video. is like, that was always one of those things of like, what if we could just hang out and be ourselves and be filmed and show people this is how it really happens. Like this is just a bunch of friends um, that care about each other a lot and want to do fun stuff together. And so uh, that was giant bombs. It's a big part of that. The, the sort of like more people have recognized me from giant bomb than anything else. Mm. Even, even after my third time on stage at E3, (laughs) uh, more people come up to me and be like, Hey, Djibouti. Hey, drink that rum. Hey, Dave Lang's phone number. Um, and Lang as well. I mean, you know, the Lang zone and all that stuff. I mean, these are all to us. It was like, because we were friends with, with Jeff and Ryan, the whole crew. Um, it was just like, wow, we're chuckleheads. You guys are chuckleheads. When we put all these things together, uh, it becomes a lot of fun. And, um, I think people got that authenticity and I think it reminded a lot of people of themselves of when they're just hanging out with their friends, doing their own thing. Um, you know, what does it sound like? What, uh, you know, what, what kind of things do you guys talk about when you're doing that stuff? And that to me was, uh, it was a really, it was a lot of fun. It was a big part of it, but yeah, they definitely recommend. And then the fact that Vinyaki and I were roommates, I mean, there were just sort of so many aspects that, uh, people sort of picked up on and, and every year we do giant bomb, uh, at E3 and every year something goes off the rails. Yeah. And that's the best part about it. But it, <laughs> I mean, that's, it, it's what giant bomb is good at. It's, it's kind of normalizing and humanizing people behind the games you love. Cause for so long it felt like no one really knew outside of games, how games were made or who was really behind them. Like yeah. the, the per, those personalities didn't really stand out. And what yeah. I've always loved about giant bomb is they, you know, you got to know these people that, you know, I never, you know, I've met Jeff Gersman like once, but I feel like I know so much about him from these videos and yeah. they were able to bring those people in. I mean, like I, I ended up, uh, Greg Kasavin because he was on there for so yeah, long. Yeah, I yeah. had never known him. And then I saw yeah. him at PAX and said hi to him as if I knew him because he was on <laughs> yeah, videos totally. and podcasts that I had watched. And then like we worked together for an article and I'm like, it's because they do a fantastic job of, again, like humanizing these people, making these people just like, oh, I can just be myself on this podcast and on these videos and it's it's really it's 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 a cool thing and it made me again like working at a studio now it's cool to actually see how games are made you know up close and personal compared to a lot of journalists for a long time it's from a distance you're reviewing games and have no idea how they were made or who made them and it it does add a, a whole new layer to it well i feel like they actually gave birth to like um, when they sort of said, Hey, we're not really going to do reviews or we're just going to do this five star system and there's no half stars and all this stuff. It was just like, they were sort of like, and we're not going to review stuff if we're involved or if we know the people, I, I almost feel like they gave birth to the whole, like, we're not going to review stuff. We're just going to yeah. say we like it or we didn't. And because, you know, you're right. Bringing that human element to it. That's to me, like what the score is, what the Metacritic is, I think is bullshit personally. Yeah. I think it's like, do you have fun playing it? Did you enjoy it? Like I hear so many people like, oh, I heard that wasn't good. I'm like, from somebody you trust or from a random sort of piece of input? You know, I'm not saying like they shouldn't impact your decision making process or like you shouldn't look at them for some information, but I've loved a bunch of stuff that got panned. And so yeah. what what Jeff and the whole Giant Bomb crew decided to do was like, hey, we're just going to talk about the process and the people and less about 
less freaking out about, um, you know, who made what or why was that late or why did that bug? I mean, they pontificate about that stuff here and there, but, and, and just that's the way they approach everyone. And because of that, people really warmed up, um, very quickly to what they did because it wasn't as adversarial. You know, I feel like too much of it is adversarial. Um, and they never were. They were just like, Hey, we just want to know what you guys are up to. And if you want to say something off the record, that's fine. And so I had a lot of respect for, the vision that they built for that and what they've been able to accomplish. Yeah, it's a very unique way of looking at games because, again, I wrote reviews for six years and have, like, this healthy respect for games criticism, as, of course, you do too. But, like, there's also this other side of it where sometimes all I need is a quick look to know whether or not I want to buy a game. Or sometimes I just need to see some gameplay. And uh, there's different ways you can use reviews. And it it can be frustrating. Again, uh, Here They Lie is the first game I've been a part of where my name is in the credits. since. of course, I have, like, Twitter tabs keeping track of everything going on with it. And like you mentioned, where you have those comments, people saying, like, oh, I heard that got bad reviews. And they've read the one IGN review that didn't love it and not the the Game Informer that gave it an 8 or the GameSpot that gave it an 8. And you're like, that's where review scores can really work against you in a way where it's like man they can see one score and suddenly the entire interpretation of this thing is different but that's where something like giant bomb is cool where it's like you can kind of and i'm not someone who does live streaming and youtubing but that's where that stuff can come in handy because you can see it for yourself and kind of make an interpretation from there instead of seeing a couple of screenshots in a magazine and a score at the end so i do also understand that aspect of it yeah no i have a lot of respect for the craft it's just a matter of like Oftentimes that closes doors and I feel mm-hmm. like there's so much things in our modern day world that are negative and close doors and shut things down and, and, you know, bad comments that like the opportunity of like, I might find something really neat uh, in a game that I fall in love with an aspect of it. And if I wasn't open-minded or if I wasn't trying to willing to try things, then, and I just only relied on the negative side of things, then yeah, the world looks like a dark place. And I think that's what giant bomb does is flips it and says, let's, let's sort of, it's a little bit of tongue in cheek. Let's have fun on the journey. Let's, uh, you know, but let's go on the journey together. And and to me, I think that's that's the favorite part of of what they've accomplished. Did it make it more difficult for you working so closely with these different indies? You know, kind of helping them get on PlayStation and probably seeing a lot of the game throughout development. When one of them had a Metacritic of like fifty, like was there? not an anger, but almost like a reaction to it because you were so close to the project? Or like you said, you were able to kind of brush it off because for you, Metacritic's a little bit of bullshit. Well, no, I, I it always... So I would always just feel for developers, like whatever they're going through. So it was never like, oh, I can't believe they didn't get good score. Because, you know, I think there's too many, too many sort of examples now of people that might not get good scores but are selling millions of units because the type of game that they're making is for the people. And I think... The revelation that I had when I was at Capcom, and it was, uh, what was the, uh, uh, Dear Esther, Mm. um, that came through and that came out on, uh, it came out on Steam and it sold a million units and I saw an article about it and I was like, I remember declaring to myself, I officially don't know what people want (laughs) because that wasn't, it wasn't the kind of game that I liked and I think too often people, like what becomes popular um, people automatically dismiss it if it's like hype gets hyper popular super quick. Like, oh, Minecraft's overrated because da da da, and then it's like one of the biggest things of all times in the games yeah. industry. And I think it's too hard for one person or a group of people even to really be the true, honest representative of the gaming industry. And so, the more I think we allow that that journey of like let's try things, and it, it might be for some people, and it might not be. Like Bionic Commando when we were at 
Capcom and not rearmed. Rearm was sort of like universally everyone universally praised. But the three D version that mm-hmm. uh that, that grid that Jeff did, gave a four out of five. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um but the the three D version uh was super hyper divisive. Like mm-hmm. I think it net out to like a fifty five or a sixty. But the mechanics in that were super, super punishing. But when you were swinging in that world, it's like nothing I've ever felt in a video game. Now the story was a shit show. I mean, there's a lot of things uh, <laughs> that uh, were not good about the game, but um, I'd almost rather have a game that was hyper defi- divisive and creates conversation than that one that is like universally perfect, right? Um, so I never ever, I was never ever like, you guys could have done better. It's more like, hey, what did you learn and what are you going to do next time to make it better? But the other thing is like the editorial process in third party specifically, like in my department that I, that I ran, um, it's not our job to be the judges of content. We just want to know, hey, are people on our platform going to enjoy it? And if the answer mm-hmm. is yes, let's move through. And uh, that was the big thing of like, hey, what types of games are we going to go after? What types of things? Of course, the what the team had worked on before, their heritage was important. But um, it was never like afterwards, like we do a finger wag of like, well, you guys could have done better. Because yeah. in third party, that's not how we measure things. We just measure things of like, Okay, what's the happiness level of the people playing the platform, and uh, you know how is uh, how is the hardware selling, and are our partners happy? Those are sort of the three measurement factors that we would use. It is at this point. I'm I'm in the same boat as you. So difficult to understand what's actually going to really be a hit. What yeah. is really going to resonate with people? Because you look at Mafia Three, which I think that was somewhere in like the 60s in Metacritic, not extremely high. There's some people who loved it, some people who disliked it, and that I think shipped. 4.5 million yeah something like i that, shipped where, in i think 4.5 or 4.7 yeah I just and that's heard, uh, awesome earnings. because yeah. like that's my style of game like i i'm i like certain level like examples of open world but for me if it has like a good interesting story and like good writing i want to be there and actually see that and like that's the kind of thing where it's just hard to tell i i did mock reviews for a bit and that's also one of the most bizarre things in the world because yeah. you're basically saying like here's what i would personally give it here's what i think the metacritic is going to be and you have those moments of like i don't it's 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 way weirder when you're like the first one reviewing something because you could be the one person who's like this is dog shit and give it a four and it, the Metacritic's like a ninety and you're like I just don't yeah. know anymore. It's so hard yeah. to determine tastes and what's gonna work. I mean, when you were at PlayStation, what was your strategy for talking to third parties? You mentioned kind of you know giving to a certain extent giving the people what they want, giving people that the the games that they're interested in what they've been asking for Shenmue's an example of that like that's insane that's happening and you know Final Fantasy 7 remaster all these things are crazy but like what yeah. in your mind what was your kind of judge for this is something that we would like to represent you know with PlayStation it was a mixture of of just like social voices like what what's happening out in the uh out with all the fans what are they like what are they interested in and then of course internal stuff as well cuz you kind of have to um, you know, you have to listen to everything happening and then measure, okay, how much of this is just like noise and how much of it is actionable? Because if we went after everyone, like that's why when Geo sort of started the building list campaign, he would sort of keep an ongoing track of how many people have requested the same thing over and over. So that helped prioritize. But sometimes you get these sort of microcosms of like, wow, we just got tweeted a hundred times about SOCOM. And, uh, <laughs> And and then you sort of like do some deeper digging. You're like, well, that first of all, that's a third or first party IP, so that isn't even our world. Yeah. But also listening to, it's a combination of like what people are asking for, a bit of your gut, um, and of course all the different voices. Like we purposely had a super 
diverse group within PlayStation, different people that love different types of things. And oftentimes, and even some people that weren't super hardcore gamers that you'd be like, okay, if we can get this person over the line, then we know we got something sort of grand here. But like, if we look back, like Nick Sutner, new indie games, like nobody I've ever met, uh, Shane Bettenhausen, new sort of like JRPGs and, and Japanese games, like nobody else. Matt Kessler was like, um, super good with PC games. Uh, Brian Silva knew MOBAs like the back of his hand and, and, uh, shooters and so you sort of have this whole motley crew of people that have different diverse things sarah thompson was godlike at at free-to-play stuff and and so when you put all this stuff together you're able to sort of like use those x-men powers to suss out what you think is going to be right for people and then uh throw it out there and um it we most it mostly worked and sometimes when it didn't it's like that's fine it's didn't work out for this reason or that reason but you know, it's about a portfolio strategy. It was never about if each, if any one of these things failed, then the whole team fails. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has to be difficult deciding like what is just Twitter noise and what is fully worth pursuing. Like I really want Dark Cloud 3 to happen. Yeah. But like yeah, do yeah, yeah. like four other million people want Dark Cloud yeah. 3 to happen or am I just going to buy it? And like I say like, Final Fantasy VII remake, cool, but I prefer Final Fantasy VIII remake. But I'm in the minority, so like that's right. the kind of thing that I think has to be hard to just sift through, even like on Twitter, on social media, and stuff like that. I mean, that's where something like the the Kickstarter for Shenmue makes sense because it's a it's a put your money where your mouth is yeah. situation. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah. It's like, is this and that was real? obviously yeah, that and that was sort of obviously like we talked a ton about that. Like, is this the right thing to do? And I think it was a mixture of like, well, it's his IP, it's his thing. Let's sort of help elevate it. Um, but you know, to that point, when I was at Capcom. One of my favorite Capcom games of all time was Black Tiger in the arcade. Okay. And I was absolutely hell bent on remaking that game when I was there. And every time we do all research, it would come back at 12th, 15th, 18th, 22nd place. And I was like, God, there's got to be a reason. But then over time, I realized that like the worst thing a bad, a person, a bad person in decision making, uh, you know, position could do would be only pushing their own agenda. Hmm. And I, I feel like, that taught me some great lessons because then at PlayStation, it had to be for all the right reasons. And if at any time, and we had a very honest uh, group, you know, my director team was was incredible. John Drake and Gio Corsi and Carter Lipscomb and Shelby and Don. And so we'd have to look each other in the face like, is this going to move the needle? Is this yeah. investment of time and effort and event support going to change the way in which we looked at things? So we did a bunch of analysis, but it also came down to gut. And and we would also sort of like if there was things where hey I have a really close relationship with that person, I kind of not can't be in this discussion or it doesn't make sense for me to be driving this because I am personally invested because I love this franchise because I worked on it back in the day whatever that was and so that balance also I think is very important but I think that sort of side of things shows the maturity of like hey you can't just go after things that you love because that is also I think misusing it's 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 just not what the PlayStation gamers would want you to do. They won't yeah. want you to use it to just push your own agenda. Like coming out on stage at PSX and announcing Nino Kuni 2 in a place erupting and Ace Combat 7. And then when you talk about Call of Duty uh, on stage and, and, and the room isn't as loud as it is when you say FF7, you come back and the executive team is like, well, something doesn't add up. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, because the people in that room are super fans of that stuff. But Call of Duty is going to sell millions and tens of millions of units like it, like it does. And so that balance is also a challenge of like, 
what what are you trying to do on the short term, medium, and long term for the success? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I mean, looking at the future, not to get overly businessy about Iron Galaxy, but like, sure, what are you guys like working on now? And you know, that can actually talk about. And for you, I mean, what are your actual goals there like what do you see as you know 2017 iron galaxy what do you want to do there what's what's kind of in the works well i think the biggest goal is the reason i came over here which is to make great stuff with great people and that sounds sort of cheesy but um being able to look at a whiteboard and anything you throw up there sticks right and and as as chelsea dave and i as the leadership team we can explore any single idea that we have that to me is the most exciting so we obviously we've got like themes of strategy that we're going to be going after and stuff like that nothing that i can talk about right now because it's all sort of very speculative and and um you know bigger picture stuff but uh that to me is the favorite part of us building the strategy together like hey what if we let's go after this as one part of it here's a three-pronged approach and having these brainstorm sessions where the buck doesn't stop anywhere we don't have investors that we answer to we don't have a board of directors and so we're able to say all right let's do that we're doing that uh whereas at any company you know, you've got you've got a litany of of um, people that you're talking to and things that you have to go through, and uh, here we don't. And that to me is the most empowering thing because that wakes you. You wake up every morning. Of course, the highs are higher, but the lows are lower. But yeah. in the end, the fact that the buck's going to stop at where we want it to stop is is the most exciting part of what we're working on. Yeah, how freeing is that? Being, I mean, of course, we mentioned we've said multiple times you had a great time at PlayStation, but yeah. there's there has to be something about like. You're not representing all of PlayStation when you make statements anymore. You're you're now just representing Adam and maybe a little bit Iron Galaxy, but yeah. you're kind of more free and to a certain extent. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing is that I've always been that way. And of course, when you're working for a big company, you got to sort of like bring it down a few notches and think more about who who is this going to impact. And uh, on that factor, it's a little bit more freeing. But you know, before before PlayStation, I actually had my own company for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and if I would have done that first this would have been a lot more emotionally taxing. But because I did that before and I learned what happens when you put everything online and you, you know, the mortgage of payments on your house are, excuse me, reliant on, on you getting a contract. Uh, now being able to take all the things I've learned and being able to work for these 120 amazingly talented people in the studios um, is super freeing, but also empowering. You know, you look at, look at what's been happening lately and, you know, uh, the crazy political situation within the U.S. It's like the yeah. only option I have is to wake up the next morning, brush ourselves off, do the best we can for all the people that work here, and try to make continue to make great things and keep people's morale high and make sure we're looking out for them and making great content for the people out there. So those those things have always been the guiding lights, and that's what we'll continue to try to do. Yeah, thank God for games right now. It's making things a lot easier. Uh, Hell yes. Adam, Hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it's sure been- thing. Super cool is just to see, again, you go from, you know, guy drinking rum on Giant Bomb to <laughs> being on the stage of E3 to now doing this really cool thing with Iron Galaxy and the entire group. Uh, I know, like you said, you can't talk about exactly what's going on, but I'm looking forward to actually learning what you guys are working out, what, you know, what, what you're working on, what's going to come out, and what you do there. Awesome. I'm excited to show you guys down the road as well. We got a lot of cool ideas we're working on. All right, can't wait to see you again on the giant bomb couch. Uh, Something (laughs) insane will probably happen. So thank you again, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.